This is your host, Charles Cook. Welcome back to the Immigration Hour. It's going to be with you again this week. Uh, it is uh, Tuesday, the uh, 29th of October, and we're waiting on word of a yet another grandchild. Yes, uh, this will be number seven, our sixth granddaughter. As many of you know, we had a grandson born last week, and we're kind of excited uh, to uh, welcome this little granddaughter either today or tomorrow. Yesterday, there was a uh, big announcement, kind of caught a lot of people by surprise in regards to TPS for Salvadorans. I mean, really, everybody knew it was ending in, uh, in January, and that was only extended because the Trump administration was forced to extend it by a court. And yet, and yet, the uh, Trump administration, uh, which has been trying to get these, quote, safe third country agreements with the most dangerous countries in the, in the hemisphere, um, apparently met its match in El Salvador and... Uh, Apparently, the new El Salvadoran president decided to uh, to fight back a little bit, and in exchange for this, you know, ludicrous, you know, third safe country, third third safe, safe third country agreement, uh, he squeaked out of the president another year of TPS. So, reporting yesterday uh, in the uh, in the LA Times, the administration supposedly. Um, said that they were simply not going to extend TPS. It was not, it was not, on, it was not on the table. They were not going to negotiate it uh, in return for signing the agreement on asylum seekers. They simply were not going to do it. Well, Salvador's president, who's a, quote, millionaire millennial, Naya Bukele, um, he, uh, he decided to, uh, it looks like, suck up the Trump, uh, where he, uh, he had warm words for President Trump and his officials. Quote, they said it was impossible that the Salvadoran government couldn't do anything, but we knew that our allies would not abandon us. Hmm. Trump administration officials, however, painted a very different picture of that, although you have to watch the video of our ambassador and the Nicaraguan, I mean, the Salvadoran president talking about the announcement. Oh, yes, we're doing TPS together. It's all great. We're all hunky-dory. That was the ambassador. Very different story coming out of DHS, and especially the Cooch, um, who's the acting head of USCIS. Now, USCIS is the one that implements TPS. So in this case, he would be the person responsible for, for en enacting whatever the president decides to do. Uh, so Bukele and the ambassador, the U.S. ambassador, announced TPS is extended. They announced that TPS is extended for a year. Uh, no word yet on how it's extended, or what it means to be extended, or the process of doing it. But they say it's extended. The cooch, on the other hand, um, um, said that the uh, TPS is not being extended at all. At all. Uh, the cooch wrote on Twitter, rather, work permits for Salvadorans will be extended for one year past resolution of litigation for an orderly wind-down period. Now, that speaks of DED, for those of you old enough to remember Deferred and Forced Departure, which Liberians are currently under. That looks like DED. But he also talks about it one year past resolution of litigation. So this, the cooch doesn't think, solves the litigation problem. Um, but, on the other hand, the Salvadoran foreign minister, Alexandra Hall, in Washington to sign the agreement said that Salvadorans are beginning breathing room to find a permanent solution that will eventually earn them residency or citizenship. 
Hill also rejected uh, suggestions that El Salvador was being rewarded because they acquiesced to Trump's harsh demands that the tiny Central American country cooperate in holding back immigrants and asylum seekers from reaching the U.S. border. Um, and uh, she said, no, this is not a quid pro quo. It's not. <laughs> you know, technically, there's nothing wrong with quid pro pros. It's when you do a quid pro quo for a private deal, uh, like uh, getting your uh, uh, political opponent's uh, um, uh, investigator, rather than, hey, if you do this, we'll do that for you as a country. That's an entirely different thing. Um, so uh, this is... Um, this is really interesting because the district court in Northern California uh, blocked the DHS termination of TPS and some other countries, and, ex and, and as a result, it's extended through January 1. Now, apparently, uh, although it, it, arguably it's a little unclear, uh, it's extended through January 22. Let's take a look at the actual Homeland Security press release. Now, this, interestingly enough, comes from the DHS spokesperson, not from the cooch. Um, and so uh, the acting Homeland Security Secretary, Kevin McAleenan, um, and Foreign Minister Hill um, announced the two countries have signed a number of documents to implement greater collaboration and announced additional time for El Salvadorans with TPS to repatriate. Let's be clear. I have not met a single Salvadoran who is going to voluntarily repatriate. All of them are eligible for cancellation of removal unless they already have an order of removal. So they're all eligible. Plus, any TPS recipient, specifically Salvadorans in this case, who has traveled and re-entered on an advanced parole, regardless of whether they have a removal order, is eligible to adjust status either through a U.S. citizen child over the age of 21 or a U.S. citizen spouse. And many are in the process of doing that. And in the Sixth and Ninth Circuits, if they have a U.S. employer willing to sponsor them, they can adjust status directly from TPS, regardless of their prior history. So, you know, we're not going to have 250,000 Salvadorans repatriate. That's literally not going to happen. Um, so let's see what this says, the, the, what the, the idea is. In the announcement, the Trump administration is extending the validity of work permits for Salvadorans with TPS through January 4, 2021. Additionally, the Trump administration is providing Salvadorans with TPS an additional 365 days after the conclusion of TPS-related lawsuits to repatriate back home. Now, that I guess the minimum time would then be January 4, 2022, uh, at the earliest, uh, or if the lawsuit goes beyond January 4, 2021, it would be a year beyond that, and that looks like TPS. So it looks like, according to the DHS announcement, they're actually doing two separate things. So frankly, kudos to uh, the president of, uh, of El Salvador, for pushing this forward. Now, I will note that there is nothing yet up on the USCIS website. There's nothing there. 
Um, and uh, why, why DHS gives us a reason for this is that, quote, a sudden inflow of 250,000 individuals to El Salvador could spark another mass migration to the U.S. and reinvigorate the crisis at the southern border. Taking into these concerns, we have decided to provide additional time to work out that plan. Uh, so, you know, first of all, they're not going to have that many people go to El Salvador. There's not, I mean, any immigration lawyer listening to this knows that they don't know a single Salvadoran who's voluntarily going to go back. Everybody's going to fight to stay. So uh, I, my, our guesstimate is about a quarter of the TPS people have removal orders. Three quarters don't, which means they're all eligible for cancellation of removal if they've got kids. They, virtually all of them have kids. Um, most of them have traveled on advanced parole. Once those kids turn 21, they're all going to get green cards. Uh, so it is, um, it is fascinating to see them do this. Uh, I think this is a big win for El Salvador. I think El Salvador really... Uh, really pulled off a coup here. And, and, and El Salvadorans, the TPS that are listening, I mean, they, or that, that are your clients or your friends, you need to tell them to get their butt in gear. I mean, their employers can sponsor them in the Sixth and Ninth Circuits. Um, they can uh, uh, adjust through marriage. They can adjust through uh, 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 their children if they're when they turn 21. But they must have traveled. They must have traveled. So get them, get every, there's, there's definitely no reason why a TPS recipient at this point hasn't gotten a travel document. They absolutely should be doing it. Uh, and by doing so, they'll be able to activate this benefit on the back end. Now, that's, of course, if 386 doesn't pass. If 386 passes, Senate Bill 386, then, of course, all these Salvadorans are screwed, um, and uh, they will not be able to get uh, their green card for a decade. And, of course, by then they won't have TPS, uh, even if Trump is not president. Uh, this also puts the ball squarely back in Congress's court, uh, and we'll see what Congress uh, will do uh, to, uh, to really kind of push forward uh, an effective change to TPS to give TPS people a path to permanent status in the United States. It's really, I mean, really, most of them have been there half their lives. They, they, the vast majority speak English. They all have kids here. Uh, it's just stupid at this point. I mean, you know, the U.S. government made a bad policy choice in, in having TPS for longer than three or four years. Uh, once you do that, people become ingrained in society. Uh, these folks own businesses. Some of the most successful immigrants I know are actually TPS recipients. So it, it's very much um, bad public policy not to fix this problem today. Uh, so kudos to the president of El Salvador uh, for really kind of forcing uh, the uh, president's hand on this. I, I think it's a uh, terrific negotiation and really does solve uh, for a lot of people a problem that I think they first had, t they took a year to wake up to, and now that they're waking up, bam, uh, they've got these options they need to explore. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break here, talk about our next topic in just a second on the Immigration Hour. Welcome back. Again, uh, for me, a break. For you, not a break. It's vitally important now that we talk about uh, um, Attorney General Barr's extraordinary use, extraordinary use of, um, of his power as the Attorney General to rewrite immigration law. Uh, this last uh, Friday night at about 8.30, uh, the Attorney General issued a couple of decisions uh, the first of those decisions was matter of Michael Vernon Thomas and matter of Joseph Lloyd Thompson. Um, this case 
is uh, these cases, there's really just one case, um, uh, is uh, emblematic of what the Attorney General thinks about uh, 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 the, uh, the immigration courts. Uh, this, uh, this, new, uh, this new rule uh, is, is fascinating uh, because it, um, uh, what it does is it takes away settled law um, and reinstitutes a really troubling standard uh, uh, as part of the immigration law process. So this, this happened on Friday, uh, March 25th, and uh, what the Attorney General did is walk back, walk back settled immigration law um, that, uh, frankly, we fought a really long time for uh, in the context of, um, uh, of immigration law. And this, uh, this decision, uh, which you'll find at uh, 27 INN Deck 674 from October 25th, overruled and eliminated matter of Cota Vargas, matter of Song, and matter of Estradas, uh, which were all decisions that pertain to the effect of state court orders that modify, clarify, and otherwise alter a criminal, I mean, a, a foreign national's criminal sentence. Each of these cases, Cota Vargas, Song, and Estrada, set to uh, ameliorate the decision in matter of Pickering. Uh, matter of Pickering uh, was issued during uh, the, uh, the Bush administration. Um, and in matter of Pickering, which is from uh, December 2003, it said this, if a court vacates a foreign national's conviction for reasons solely related to rehabilitation or immigration hardships, rather than the basis of a procedural or substantive defect in the underlying proceedings, the conviction is not eliminated for immigration purposes. And this goes to the definition of immigration. Now, keep in mind that matter of Pickering, that Mr. Pickering had a Canadian decision, a Canadian court had uh, squashed... Um, his uh, quashed his controlled substance violation uh, conviction to avoid the bar of permanent residence to him. Uh, and so this was, and the court says, no, you can't do that. Now, this decision, which is, I always found really kind of interesting, but it was written by one of the most hardcore uh, uh, folks on the board, although he had a couple of uh, kind of liberal members on that board. It's not, it's not a really lengthy decision. Um, and it really, it, the decision itself fails to really delve into the full faith and credit clause of the Constitution, but it really comes off the idea of what a conviction is. Um, and uh, as, as they cite things like the First Circuit decision, which said that state rehabilitative programs have the effect of vacating an eviction other than on the merits or as a basis is tied to a violation of sexual custody rights, have no bearing on determining whether aliens considered convicted under 101-48A. Uh, so they kind of riffed off of a couple of, of, of decisions, but kind of ignored uh, the full faith and credit clause of the Constitution. Um, so, but and what Matter of Cota Vargas did, and Matter of Song, Matter of Estrada, is it a myriad. It said, no, 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 full faith and credit, you, you have to... 
you have to pay attention to state court matters when a state vacates a conviction, uh, particularly if they're vacating it for um, procedural or substantive effect. Now, the second part of Thomas and Thompson said this, that state court orders will be given effect for immigration purposes only if based on a procedural or substantive defect in the underlying criminal proceedings. These orders will have no effect for immigration purposes if based on reasons unrelated to the merits of the underlying criminal proceeding, such as rehabilitation or avoidance of immigration consequences. Okay, but if it's set aside for a violation of constitutional rights, like the Supreme Court's decision, which says um, that if you aren't advised of the immigration consequences of your conviction, that such a conviction is, uh, is invalid. But the best part uh, of this decision uh, is something that was pointed out by Aaron Hall. Aaron Hall uh, is just a really great lawyer up in Memphis. Um, and uh, I'm sorry, in, I'm sorry, Aaron, out in Denver, works with my friend Jeff Joseph, his partner out there at, at Joseph and Hall. But he points out that um, the argument that respondents made in the case, which said the full faith and credit clause is, I mean, it, it prohibits you from overturning this. They, he wrote, Barr wrote this. The full faith and credit act of the Constitution does not apply to federal agencies. So as Aaron points out, Barr is admitting that these are not real courts. Immigration court is not a real court. You heard it here. Second, because you heard it first from the Attorney General of the United States, quote, by its own terms, the statute provides that acts, records, and judicial proceedings shall have the same full faith and credit in every court within the United States and its territories and possessions as they have by law or usage in the courts of such state, territory, or possession from which they are taken. The act, the text of the act is thus clear. It applies to, quote, courts, but not to agencies, and does not require agency officials, such as, quote, immigration judges or the board, to give effect to state court orders. Now, they use a Fourth Circuit case that says the act does not apply to agencies. The text of the act is clear. The USCIS is not a court. Thus, the plain language of 1738 establishes it does not apply to the USCIS. Um, that's a, uh, a decision out of the Fourth Circuit. So we have Attorney General Barr now acknowledging uh, that uh, the uh, immigration court is not a real court, and thus they're not real judges. Uh, but this, uh, this act is, uh, is going to be really difficult. Um, uh, and um, it is going to be something that um, uh, this decision is going to have long-term repercussions. Now, what we don't know is now that people, people got their green cards based on Estrada, they got their green cards based on Son, they got their green cards based on Cota Vargas. When they go to apply for citizenship... Well, they now say, oh, matter of Thomas and Thompson, shouldn't have gotten that. We're going to take your green card away. This decision has extraordinary repercussions, uh, extraordinary repercussions. Um, and uh, it, it, um, it is going to be uh, 
uh, yet to be seen how that impacts, but it will uh, absolutely have an impact on the uh, on the immigration courts themselves. Um, it is going to be a. Um, I mean, I think I think it's safe to say that uh, these decisions completely alter large swaths of immigration law, and it will be curious when the next attorney general takes over from a Democratic president, if they will simply step in and withdraw these decisions and reinstate prior law. I mean, this is just add this to the list of things that have to be done. You know, on Saturday, I, I spoke at a conference uh, at Emory University, a homecoming talk at Emory on immigration policy. And one of the things we told, told the group that was gathered there is, did you know that every day since uh, January uh, 20th, 2017, there has been a change, in, at least one change, substantive change in immigration law, over a thousand changes to immigration law. And on Friday, they were these two uh, char- uh, cases that um, um, radically change uh, uh, immigration law for the worse. And it is, um, it is something that uh, we are, uh, you know, going to have to pay attention to when we, uh, we look at this kind of explosive uh, changes uh, as part of the immigration process. Um, the, the other case here, I think the other matter here that our Attorney General talked about, we're going to talk about here uh, when we come back from this break. We'll be back in a second. Welcome back from our short break again. So next, the next decision we want to talk about is matter of Castillo-Perez, also issued by the Attorney General on October 25th. This is a 27 INN Deck 664. One, he said this, the Immigration Nationalities Act, quote, good moral character, close quote, standard requires, requires adherence to generally acceptable, accepted moral conventions of the community and criminal activity is probative of non-adherence to those convictions. Okay, no problem. Two, evidence of two or more convictions for a DUI during the relevant period of good moral character establishes a presumption that an alien lacks good moral character under the Immigration Nationality Act, INA 101F. Because only foreign nationals who possess good moral character for a 10-year period are eligible for cancellation or removal, such evidence of two DUIs during the period presumptively establishes that the alien's application for relief should be denied. Um, it was in, uh, this is a case that Matt Whitaker directed the board to refer to him for review, matter of Castillo-Perez. And uh, in, uh, this is actually a decision of the board where they found that uh, two DUIs during the period they had upheld an immigration judge denial. And, uh, but Barr simply says, is he basically making this a precedent decision, so I conclude that when assessing good moral character, evidence of two or more DUIs during the relevant period establishes a rebuttable presumption that the person lacked good moral character during that time um, and uh, therefore denied the case. This is actually not that surprising, particularly under this administration, um, and uh, keep in mind, most DUIs are traffic offenses. They're not criminal offenses. And um, it is, uh, but it has been one re- increasingly used by immigration judges to deny relief, to deny bond. Uh, and uh, it, is, um, it is something that, uh, uh, that, that I think is important, but it's a footnote 
that is really important. Footnote one, although DUIs are the offenses at issue here, nothing in this opinion prevents immigration judges, administrative hearing officers, or the BIA, uh, which are called hearing officers, by the way, from taking into account other convictions such as negligent driving in determining whether to grant case of removal. So now, reckless driving, negligent driving, this is also something that is really uh, important for our clients to pay attention to. And even a conviction for a lesser offense, I think, will result in denials of DACA. It will result in denials of, um, of adjustment of status. Uh, will certainly result in denials of uh, naturalization, as well as cancellation of removal. So you've got all these factors that are now being weighed by these judges um, that are put into play by matter of Castillo Perez. Um, I would uh, I would suggest that if you practice immigration law and you have a client as a DUI, and far too many far too many people get DUIs. And I'm not saying DUIs are good; they're bad. I mean, I, I don't drink. I think it, you're an idiot if you drink and drive. Um, but a singular, a dual mistake like this speaks volumes. And it's really hard to, to explain to a court uh, why somebody uh, is uh, a person of good moral character who uh, drinks and drives. Um, and this includes being uh, both high and on drugs, uh, you know, driving under the influence of some, uh, some substance that impairs your, your judgment. Um, you know, we, we have had people that have, are good people in every aspect of their lives and make one stupid decision. And that stupid decision, literally today, in light of matter of Castillo Perez, will cost you your right to be in the United States. So don't the idea of two DUIs being a presumption, I assume I mean, it's a rebuttable presumption. It's not, it's not a uh, mandatory denial, but it's a presumption. I think it's footnote number one that actually is far broader than this, uh, where footnote one says, no, you can... Look at negligent driving. I mean, does that include speeding? Because we've had the USCIS deny naturalization to people with multiple speeding convictions as lacking good moral character. Uh, this decision then gives broad breadth to the USCIS and the immigration judges to actually go ahead and make decisions which are going to be uh, and have profound consequences uh, for individuals going forward. It is... Uh, something that we, uh, we definitely have to be absolutely aware of uh, going forward as part of what's available uh, to people. You know, we're going we're gonna to have another podcast come out later today. I'm going to be interviewing tonight uh, a person that's involved in the DACA uh, Supreme Court uh, oral argument and litigation uh, to get her perspective on what it means for her uh, how her life is different with DACA, what it would mean to lose it, and uh, how, how it impacts not just her and her family, but America as a whole. This is um, something remarkably powerful, something that is uh, 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 going to reshape uh, the debate on immigration, because should the Supreme Court uh, take down uh, the... Uh, uh, the uh, right for DUI, I mean, <laughs> the right for DACA, they take that down. That's 800,000 undocumented people that are back in the undocumented system that are willing to stand up and be vocal. It's not as if they're going to put 800,000 people in removal proceedings. They're not going to, just like they're not going to put 250,000 Salvadorans in removal proceedings. But they clearly, I don't think, under, I think they underestimate 
the power of the youth involved here and how they will react uh, 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 vociferously. They will, they will be uh, uh, out. They will be proud. They will be forcing politicians to make choices. Uh, and, it, of course, will further polarize the debate on immigration uh, going forward. It's, um, it's uh, not going to... Uh, uh, not going to be a good thing should DACA come down. Now, I, I have read a bunch, uh, I've talked to a bunch of folks involved in oral argument. They think they're going to win. They think the Supreme Court's going to uphold DACA. And, but keep in mind, the, the president is, the whole administration is, is based on hubris. They can get rid of DACA tomorrow if they just go through the APA. That's the only reason that DACA's still around is because uh, just like Obama refused to go through the APA to create DAPA, Trump has refused to go through the APA to get rid of it, to get rid of DACA. And they can certainly do it through the APA. No court's going to stand in the way. And it, it's still just stunning to me that Republicans don't get that by making the argument that the president can rescind DACA supports the argument that the president can create DACA. <laughs> it's, it's the power, stupid. Um, so we'll see what happens this week. We'll be back. So there'll be, be two podcasts I'll post. One will probably be posted tomorrow. First will be posted as you, re, as you listen to this. So we're looking for tomorrow for the DACA podcast. And we're going to do some regular podcasting up until the oral argument. And a shout out to my friend, Teresa Borden, who's putting this together. And a longtime friend, a former reporter at the AJC, where I got to know her and become her friend. And now she is intimately involved in the DACA movement. Till next, uh, Until later today, this is your host, Chuck Cook of the Immigration Hour at Cook Baxter Immigration.